going to start, actually, instead of doing the sermon all in one big chunk, I want to kind of introduce it now, and then we'll pray, we'll do some singing and some communion. Uh, but I have a confession. It's, it's a confession of a bad habit that I have, and, and I'm not just talking about, um, I have this bad habit where I, I chew my fingernails and I leave them right here on this end table. Um, and that's pretty gross, but, uh, very, um, very I'm gross. trying to do better. And <laughs> I have another bad habit where sometimes I throw my apple cores in the ditch or sometimes I spit in public. And sometimes I sing along the songs when I don't really know the words. So I got a few, I got a few bad habits. Um, but I'm not talking about any of those bad habits in particular. I, I want to confess one bad habit. I don't spend much time in a day in prayer. And I know that that may come perilously close to to uh, disqualifying me from pastorship. Uh, but in my own defense, I, I do try to live my life with the purposes of prayer ingrained in me. I'm very, very conscious and concerned with what is right. And whether or not my choices bring glory to our King, I try to hold lightly to my own plans and keep myself receptive to the guiding of the Holy Spirit. I try to be appreciative of simple things. I'm not necessarily a role model for, for these, but, but they are of primary importance to me. And those are all the purposes of prayer. But with that said, there is value in the physical and spiritual act of focused and dedicated prayer time. I, I obviously believe that. I just don't engage in it as often as I could or should. It's one area I'm trying to grow in. Uh, and model for our girls here is is more frequent prayer. Um, but I have a bad habit of not immediately turning to prayer, especially when things turn sour or painful. In those situations, I usually get around to prayer, um, but only after I've had a healthy dose of complaining and or feeling sorry for myself. Um, I got to learn to to go right to prayer. I'm still learning. That happened a lot in April. When the weight of COVID was beginning to feel really crushing, I've I've never prayed so often or so consistently as I did uh, then. Um, well, at least not since my parents broke up. I prayed a lot then too, so I I could still I could still learn a lot from Saint Andrew, patron saint of poultry farmers there, um, our own Andrew Hoomer, um, kneeling beside his bed and praying fervently every day. What were Andrews? Words during communion last week, I really liked it. It was something when the tough get going, when the times, when the going gets tough, the prayers get flowing. Is that what it was, Andrew? Something like that? When the going gets tough, the prayers get flowing. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. But it should be when the going gets tough, the prayers start flowing. That's what it is. Perfect. Thanks, Andrew. I like that. I like it then, and, and I thought about that quite a bit through the week. It's a good habit. As soon as things start to go sideways or you don't know what your next steps are, don't wait or worry. Just pray. Turn to God and listen to him and see if you can see things as he sees them. In our story in 1 Samuel, David has shown himself remarkably adept at this. He's really good at doing exactly that. He's constantly turning to God and will demonstrate it again powerfully in our story next week. But when Saul started making David's life a constant nightmare, David knew where to turn. In chapter 19, when Saul first tries to murder David, David flees uh, to Samuel. Samuel was the voice of God in Israel at the time, so running to Samuel was equivalent to seeking Yahweh's protection. In the next chapter, David leaves Samuel's presence and seeks out Jonathan, his closest and most trusted friend. 
And finally, in the next chapter after that, chapter 21, David seeks Ahimelech the priest and inquires of the Lord using the sacred ephod and the Urim and Thummim, which is like a sacred um, the casting of lots. So in other words, when the going got tough, David either faced it down with courage to bring glory to God, as he did with the sheep and the bear, with, uh, or the lion and the bear with his sheep, or as he did uh, with Goliath, the giant. Or when he was in a powerless position, and standing and fighting for Yahweh was impossible, as it was with Saul, the Lord's anointed king, pursuing him, David instead immediately seeks the true source of his power, and that's God himself. By seeking the prophecy of Samuel, the wisdom and discernment of trusted friends, and the ritual practices that God himself put in place, David was committing to let God guide and lead him. Those are good principles for any of us when we feel lonely or uncertain or hurt or want to know where God is or what he might have to say to us. He makes himself known through his words, the wisdom and love of those around us, and the framework of religion and ceremony and customs and traditions. So his word, his people, his ceremonies, those have been guiding lights for people of faith for millennia. It's where God comes alive to us, or more accurately, it's where we see and hear just how alive he has always been within and around us. When the going gets tough, the prayers get flowing, and the pages of scripture get turning, and the encouragement and wisdom of loved ones get spoken, and the old traditions get enlivened. Without his word, his people, or his ceremonies, that is, the Bible, our community, you guys, and friends and family, and the, the church and the customs around the church, without those things, I never would have made it through the toughest times in my life or with my faith or sanity intact. And those are the things that David models for us in First Samuel. But today's passage, and this is the last paragraph and then we'll move on. Today's passage is not a story about David. Today's story in First Samuel 28 is not at all about David. Rather, it's a story about his nemesis, Saul, who serves as a, a constant pitiful contrast to the powerful faith of David. In David, we see a man after God's own heart, not so with Saul. Today, we'll read about the absolute low point in the kingship of Saul. And I'll warn you now, it's as bizarre as it is pathetic. It will make you question a lot of things, I promise you. But in the story of Saul and the medium of Endor and the ghost of Samuel, we get a portrait of where not to turn for guidance and wisdom. It's so fascinating. I can't wait to tell. I've been waiting for, for months to do this story with you guys. It's so weird. Um, but we'll save it for later. Let's do the thing that I'm trying to get better at. And let's pray together. God, thank you for today, and I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here, and for my family that's here in this house with me, and uh, for the family that shares a house uh, under you with you as the head. I thank you for all of these people. Um, thank you for the love that we share. I pray that today we would learn to see and hear you more clearly uh, through your word, the love we have for one another. Help us to see and hear you, Jesus. And we pray these things in your name and with, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I gotta say that that song speaks to me. Um, you're calling me to lay aside the worries, worries, the worries of my day, to quiet down my busy mind and find a hiding place. It would be nice if I would do that more often, um, rather than uh, let um, things frustrate me. Like you've heard about my my woes with my 
equipment, uh, my welding machine, my press, tractor, <laughs> um, and yeah, to have the childlike faith to just ask the Lord to, to intervene. I need that in my life. I rather than um, one one verse that comes to me a lot is when Jesus said to the disciples. Um, you see me and you believe, but blessed are you that um, haven't seen and, and believe. I'm, I'm, that's a paraphrase, but um, so it's the unseen. We can't see Jesus with our eyes right now, but we can feel his spirit. And uh, yeah, anyhow, I could ramble on, but Dave, that verse is is literally my key verse for the sermon later. No way. Yeah. I'm going to go out and buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> All right. I will invite Yella to unmute. He's going to lead us in some communion thoughts. Thanks, Yella. There we go. Awesome. Well, that, was, that was really cool. That was good from Dave. Um, I like the song right at the end, Mighty to Save. Um, kind of ties in with what I'm going to talk about, too, because that one verse... You know, he is the author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Um, that's actually pretty cool because I wanted to talk. Um, it's kind of an easy communion to do today, uh, mostly just because we just had Remembrance Day. Um, it gives me a nice little topic to talk about. Um, when it comes to freedom and our choices and remembering what um, not only what all the veterans and stuff did for us here on this earthly world, but for what Christ did for us spiritually, um, you know, dying on the cross, um, allowing, dying for our sins, um, giving us the chance to repent, um, allowing the Holy Spirit to be invited into our bodies, um, giving us that freedom, that freedom to believe, that freedom to um, do what we know is right, to act accordingly, um, to be more Christ-like. Um, and going back into Remembrance Day, to think of what they died for us as well, to give us the freedom of our choices today on this earthly world, to give us the freedom to be with our families, um, to spend days together and enjoy without feeling like we're being persecuted, uh, without feeling like we're still at war, even though right now... <laughs> We're at a time of COVID where we kind of are at war. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's always good to remember that we can do what we feel is right by believing, by believing in what is right thanks to Christ. Um, to make those choices that are right for our families, um, to stand up, not be persecuted, to, um, not live in fear, not be fearful for things that we can't control, but know that our faith is what's going to bring us through. Um, and it's just really cool um, that those are things that we get to be thankful for, be blessed for, um, and just always remember. Um, there's uh, Proverbs, uh, verse 133, But whoever listens to me will live without worry and will be free from the dread of disaster. Then there is this one as well from Romans eight fifteen. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of 
of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And Romans 8, verses 1 or 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Um, and I think those are good things to remember that we can fall back and we can be fearful and we can allow negative and evil and sin to control us. But I think if we remember what Christ did for us, what all of those who have fought for our freedoms and our choices to remember that and to be the next warrior, to be the next guard, to bring those people closer to Christ and let them know that fear does not need to be, does not need to control you that you have the right to live in peace and in a, a peace of mind, a peace of will. And that, um, yeah, those are things that we can just continue to pass down to our children and to other generations and to other people who just need something to hold on to. Um, so with that said, you can just pray for today's offerings. That would be awesome. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, the freedom to repent for our sins, to believe in you, to be more like you, and to help guide those to you who are needing something positive to hold on to. And Lord, we just we just thank you that we we are blessed to be able to. Um, be able to do that, that we have the choices to be family, to have the choices to follow you, to have um, the choices to do what's right. And God, we just ask that um, you can just bless those who do your calling, who do your will, and that uh, we can just um, always remember um, what, you, what you gave up, what your son gave up for us, and that we too, if need be, can be that calling as well. Um, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So with that, we're going to take our cookie and our juice. Thank you so much, Yella. I really like that idea of we're still warriors, that we are still soldiers with a mission to carry out, um, a mission of freedom and peace and uh, absence of fear. I really appreciated that. Thank you. Okay, why don't you stand up, have a stretch, get a coffee or whatever, and then come back and we'll do part two of the sermon. I don't know if you notice our young person here, tucked in the corner of the couch. We got a sleeper here. Mm-hmm. Fell asleep immediately after the music. Poor thing. Hoping she's the only sleeper, you guys. <laughs> I like to joke about that, but honestly... If what you need is a nap at this time, and I can facilitate you easing into a nap, then, hey man, I'm all for it. Go for it. But let's get started. So, before we read 1 Samuel 28, a quick reminder. What were the legitimate ways to see and hear from God that I mentioned earlier? David had modeled them for us throughout the last half of 1 Samuel as well. What were... I mentioned several times three ways that we can see and hear God in and around us. Anybody remember one of them? Yeah, that's like prayer. Prayer? Yep. That was the overarching one for sure. That was the one that I said I, I need to keep working on. Definitely. Um, 
But there was three. There was God's word. God's word. Good job, Sharon. His and word. People. His people. And the third was Samuel. The prophets. The, yeah, the prophets would be his word. But maybe you're thinking of his priests, Andrew, because that would be his ceremonies. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, good job, you guys. So his word uh, for David, that was prophecy through Samuel. For us, that's the Bible. Um, there's his people. For David, that was Jonathan. For us, it's you guys. And, and I have many other friends who I love and trust who uh, give me encouragement and wisdom and direction. And the third would be his ceremonies. For for David, that was the Urim and Thummim in the fancy priestly breastplate thing. Um, and just going to the tabernacle at all was an act of ceremony for us. Uh, church would be a ceremony. Communion is a ceremony. Those are ancient traditions that speak truth to us. So um, that list of legitimate ways to see and hear God will get added to in this passage. In verse 6, it will include dreams, which is fascinating, um, as a means for faithful people to see and hear Yahweh's guidance. But let's read 1 Samuel 28, and we will see and hear what not to do. And again, this is craziness. I'm so excited. Uh, Chapter 28, and we'll start at verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. Now, verse 3 is foreshadowing for the entire rest of the book. We've got Samuel, a reminder of who, of who Samuel is, and that he's dead. And we've got mention of mediums and spiritists, or witches, in other words. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all the Israelites and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. And again, that's another contrast between Saul and David. Saul sees the Philistines and he is terrified because he has absolutely no relationship, no connection with Yahweh at all. David, if he would have seen all those, he would have said, we got this. We've got God at our backs. We're going to win. It's it's um, fear versus faith in the face of the Philistines, which try saying that three times fast. Fear versus faith in the faith of the Philistines. Oh, um, mess it up. So terror, Try again. Fear, fear versus faith in the face of the Philistines. There, nailed it. So Saul inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. So those are three legitimate ways you can see or hear God: dreams, some kind of uh, voice from God, uh, Urim, the the ordained ceremonies. Or um, prophets, which is, he doesn't consult any of those. He inquires of God, but God doesn't answer him. um, Because by then, it's too late for Saul. He'd made a bad habit, a worse habit than me leaving my fingernail clippings on the table or throwing apple cores in the ditch. He makes a bad habit out of making up his mind before he ever inquires of God. He, He goes to God, this is his history, he just treats God like a stamp of approval. He makes up his mind already and this wants God to give it the okay. Uh, he's like, you'll do what I want, right, God? No? Well, meh, I'll do it anyway. That's Saul's whole attitude. So, of course, when he inquires of God, it, it's too late. He has no relationship with him. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult the spirit for me, he said, and bring up the one, bring up for me the one I name. 
But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and speared us from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. And what does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. And Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Which is what a great opening line. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will hand over both Israel and you to the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will all be with me. Oh, how ominous is that? Having a ghost say, tomorrow you'll be with me. That's fantastic. The Lord will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day and night. When the woman came to Saul and saw that he was greatly shaken, she said, Look, your maidservant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now please listen to your servant and let me give you some food so you may eat and have the strength to go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his men joined the woman in urging him, and he listened to them. He got up from the ground and sat on the couch. Which, how pathetic is that? That's the posture that our king has has been led to. Gets off the ground and just slouches on a couch. It's pathetic. The woman had a fattened calf at the house, which she butchered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked bread without yeast. Then she set it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That same night, they got up and left. All right, so this story is kind of nuts, right? It's it's crazy. If you're anything like me, it calls into mind all kinds of questions about the afterlife and about ghosts. And, well, sorry to disappoint you, but I have exactly zero answers for you about any of that stuff. I'm just as baffled by this story as you are. But you know what? Even if I could speak with certainty about the paranormal and supernatural elements of Chapter 28, I wouldn't. Because the finer points of occultic practices and communing with the dead, that's not the point of this passage. It's the fascinating part of this passage. It's the reason why I've read this story a few times. But it's not the purpose of this passage. The purpose of this passage is to further demonstrate the pitiful and pathetic state that it leaves a person in when we refuse to see or hear God. Especially in contrast to David, who genuinely strives to see and hear from Yahweh. Verse 3 tells us that Saul expelled mediums and witchcraft from Israel exactly as God commands in Deuteronomy and elsewhere in the law. So that's good. Good for you, Saul. Those sort of occult practices aren't banned by Yahweh because he wanted the Israelites to think that they are fake. Instead, he wanted them banned among his people exactly because they have power. The Old Testament puts a lot of stock into witchcraft and mediums, 
But God doesn't want his people engaging in it. Why? Because it gives humankind a sense of godlike power. Only God has power over life and death, and any practices that deny him that authority are sinful and dangerous. So God forbids them. And, to his credit, Saul the king forbids them. So good for you, Saul. Of course, the original Deuteronomic, (laughs) the original laws in Deuteronomy, call for Saul to execute those mediums and spiritists, which he doesn't do, so he doesn't exactly fully fulfill the law. And in the end, though he made the law, he doesn't exactly follow his own law, does he? It just shows how he, he follows the letter of God's law without any concern for the heart. Yeah, he got rid of the occultists, but when push comes to su- shove, that's the first place that he goes to, is to these, these witches, these mediums. So he's paying lip service. He probably only did it because Samuel told him to at some point when he was actually listening to Samuel. Well, he's listening to Samuel now. Saul is desperate. He feels like God has abandoned him, and that's because God has abandoned him. Because Saul has abandoned God. It says in chapter 15 that Samuel never saw Saul again. Chapter 15, that was half a book ago. So, And at any point in those intervening chapters... Saul could have made amends with the mighty prophet and inquired of the Lord um, anywhere in those three, 13 chapters in between. Then, if he had done that, he wouldn't have needed to consult a witch on the night before his pathetic doom is sealed. But he doesn't. He never did go to Samuel. He, he couldn't care less about Yahweh. He only cares about himself. So God doesn't honor his inquiries because they're selfish in motivation. And Saul finds himself cloaked and secretive in a seedy situation, unbefitting a man of his political and religious uh, position. Saul is not acting like a king here. And that's because he ceased to be a true king years ago when he began ignoring the true king of Israel, Yahweh. As Walter Brueggemann writes, he says, When approved medicine will not heal, one will try any faint hope. So Saul, when approved religion will not reassure, goes elsewhere against the religion of Samuel, against the laws of Deuteronomy, against his own royal edict. His decision to seek help from a medium is a measure of his moral exhaustion, his de- despairing faith, his failed life, end quote. So it, it just, this chapter summarizes how low it's gotten for Saul. That's a harsh and fitting condemnation. Saul is an absolute and complete failure, and this is the low point that he deserves And he is so desperate he turns to Samuel, like a reflex back to a time when Saul was a legitimate king and would listen to Samuel. He can't look to the future, because the future belongs to David. So he's stuck looking in the past and consulting Samuel. And Samuel's answer is amazing. As Brueggemann writes, it says, Death has not mellowed Samuel, which is a really great line. He doesn't come back from the the dead a, a mellow, peaceful guy. He comes back just as fiery, just as rigidly unwilling to deal with the nonsense of Saul as always. In fact, his first words to the pathetic king are enough to demonstrate that this conversation will not go well for Saul. He says, what in the underworld do you think you're doing to me, waking me up from my slumber? Samuel had earned the peaceful rest of the grave after a life well lived uh, in service to Yahweh. And here's this fool who refused to listen to him in life, now disturbing him in death. So Saul asks him very pitifully, Oh, uh, hey there, Samuel. Well, see, the thing is, uh, things aren't looking so good for me. 
I got the Philistines on one side and the silence of God on the other, so I was wondering if maybe, old buddy, you might let me know what I should do. Maybe, please. I know I ignored your words an awful lot in life, but maybe you could give me a reassuring word in your death. I, I promise I'll listen to this time. <laughs> and it's just pathetic. But Samuel's response is like a huge slap in the face. Why are you asking me, now that the Lord has departed you and become your enemy? Ouch. And then Samuel proceeds to essentially quote himself from way back in chapter 15. Now, I know we did chapter 15 a long time ago. Chapter 15 was the beginning of the end for Saul's legitimate uh, kingship. In chapter 15, Yahweh, through Samuel, had instructed Saul to destroy the Amalekites and take no plunder. The Amalekites had been this constant thorn in Israel's side since the Exodus. And God wants them gone. And Saul's the one who's supposed to do it. But when Samuel shows up after the battle, Saul's like, oh, hey, buddy, we did it. We took care of those pesky Amalekites and destroyed everything just like you told me to. And Samuel, who hears the evidence of Saul's disobedience in the background, asks, then what is that sound of bleating in my ears? The sheep and the, the cows that he didn't destroy. Saul did not obey. He spared the king of the Amalekites and took a bunch of the plunder. And for that disobedience and that attitude of unrepentance, Samuel told him then and there that the kingdom would be ripped from him and given to another. Now here we are, 14 chapters later, 13 chapters later, and that's exactly what's happening. Samuel has no reassurance for Saul. All he does is tell Saul exactly what Saul already knows. The kingdom will be ripped from him because of his disobedience, most prominently against the Amalekites, and his kingdom will be given to David. By the way, the mention of the Amalekites sets up our story for next week, where David's going to face off against the Amalekites again. So that's a bit of foreshadowing. Samuel does have some news to share with Saul, but Saul's not going to like it. Tomorrow, him and his sons will die at the hands of the Philistines, and the armies of Israel will be given over to their enemies. By the way, this comes, all of this, this whole meeting with the witch of Endor, is happening at the exact same moment as we read last week, when God delivers David from a terrible situation. Remember that? David was stuck between, if he goes and fights with the Philistines against Israel, he'll lose his claim to the throne. But if he um, fights against the Philistines, then he'll lose the protection of, of the Philistines. And he's stuck in the situation, and God delivers him from that situation. And at that exact moment, or at least the same day, Saul. this is happening with Saul, and Saul gets the opposite message. God will not help Saul. God has abandoned him, and his ignoble death is imminent. It's coming tomorrow. So that's all happening at the same time. Saul then experiences physically what his soul has been experiencing spiritually for years, complete emptiness and exhaustion. He collapses on the ground until he's urged by the woman to have a grotesque and pitiful last meal. When you think of a last meal fit for a king, you don't exactly think of some unleavened bread and calf meat in some backwards town with a witch by your side. That's not exactly... It's a sad low point for a broken man. It's a meal fit for a hollow, hateful, faithless failure. He will die tomorrow in chapter 31, uh, but tonight is his real end. Yahweh, through Samuel, through the wicked witch of Endor, has declared the end. All of his ignoring of God's will, all his refusal to see what God desires from him, all his unwillingness to listen, it's all caught up to Saul. And that's the moral of the story for us. Two words that I used a lot in my intro, 
Two words that I used a lot in the last sentence, and two words that dominate chapter 28. And those two words are see and hear. This is our message for us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's begin with seeing. There's all kinds of irony when it comes to that in chapter 28. A question for you. How is seeing obscured in chapter 28? What are some ways that people don't see like they're supposed to see in chapter 28? Maybe you picked up on a few. I'll give you an example. Saul wears a disguise to go see the witch of Endor, so he cannot be seen for who he really is, for example. Can anybody think of another one? I love watching the panic in your eyes when you're like, oh, it's like a pop quiz in school that I didn't study for. What about um, Samuel? What do you mean, Shane? He didn't want to be pulled up. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, he didn't want to be seen. He was happy where he was. Yeah, that's a good idea. I didn't have that one, but you're right. The medium sees the ghost figure and coming out of the ground. Yes, the medium sees the ghost. And hold that thought, because that's an important thought. We'll, we'll get to that. So Saul wears a disguise so he can't be seen. It works on the medium. The medium doesn't know it's Saul, but it doesn't work on Samuel or Yahweh. They see Saul exactly how Saul is. Empty, faithless, self-obsessed. The irony of the medium is that she can see the dead, but she cannot see the living right in front of her. She has no idea that this is Saul. She doesn't realize it's Saul until the deed is done. And once she does summon Samuel, only she can see and hear him, just like Dennis said. Um, Saul cannot see or hear uh, Samuel. In verses 13 and 14, Saul has to ask to the medium, what do you see? Because he can't see anything. And then in the next verse, he says, what does he look like to confirm that it really is Samuel? He can't see what she is seeing. She has to re relate Samuel's messages to him as well. That is, after all, why she's called a medium. She's like a bridge between the living and the dead. She's in the middle. She's the medium. But though she can apparently see the dead, she cannot see the living. And Saul cannot see the one that he communes with either. There's a lack of vision. There's a vision is obscured between everyone in this story. So there's a lack of seeing. There's also a lack of hearing. This, of course, has been Saul's entire problem throughout his kingship. He refused to listen to God. In his most desperate time, Saul desperately wants to hear from God. That's the whole reason he goes to the witch of Endor in the first place. But God refuses to speak to him, knowing that all Saul really wants to hear are nice, fluffy words of reassurance. That's all he wants to hear. He's got in his mind, what the words he wants to hear, and he's not going to get those words. He doesn't care anything for the glory of God. He only cares about the glory of Saul. So the Lord doesn't speak to Saul, leading him to commit the grave sin of dabbling in the occult. Even then, he can't actually hear Samuel, only hear the message relayed through the medium. And then, as a sort of grim caricature of Saul's entire kingship, there's the events of verses 21 to 25, where the witch tries to feed him. She begins by urging, hey, I listened to your request. I listened to you, a great danger to myself. I did what you told me to do. Now please listen to me. Eat something and then get out of here. She is this evil figure and she listens. She obeys. She does as she's told. And she asks Saul to listen in return. He doesn't at first, but eventually listens when his men urge him to. He then slouches on a couch, which is exactly the pathetic posture this guy deserves. But the point is this. Saul 
at the end of this chapter has no idea who to listen to. He doesn't listen to the woman. He listens to the men, which means he's listening to the woman. He's waffling back and forth. He doesn't know who to listen to or what to listen to. In the same way that he cannot see, he also cannot hear. He has numbed himself so fully to Yahweh's direction that his senses have been clouded. He was so wrapped up in his own glory and his own self-centered pursuits against David that he forgot to see and to hear. And even when he had the benefit of directly seeing God in action and hearing God's direct instructions to him, Saul still ignored them and then refused to own up to his mistakes. In one sense, Saul never saw and never listened unless God's spirit did all the work for him. And so the kingdom will be ripped from him, and by this time tomorrow night, so too will his life be taken from him. He refused to see and to hear. And that's the message for us as well. Don't treat it as a warning. I mean, maybe you need it as a warning, but treat it as a reminder. We are called to see the kingdom through the holiness of Jesus' eyes, and we are called to hear his voice through the clutter of modern life. This is what prayer does for us. It clarifies it focuses our senses in on him. This is what prayer does for us. It's also what his word and his people and his ceremonies do for us. They help us to see and to hear properly. They are the corrective lenses that fix the self-absorbed astigmatism we all suffer with. We're all short-sighted. We only see ourselves. Those things are the hearing aids that amplify his guidance and his promises and his wisdom to us. It's a funny thing, this Christianity thing. Um, Dave touched on this when he was talking about the songs there. We are called to follow a king that we can neither see nor hear, even though we are constantly seeing and hearing from him. It's a funny thing. To to paraphrase Hebrews 11.1, Faith is confidence in the promises we heard and assurance about what we do not see. One of Dave's favorite passages is 1 Peter 1, where it says this in verse 8, Though we have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Great is our reward for remaining faithful despite not being able to see or hear Jesus physically as as others had the benefit of. Jesus himself talks about this. This is the passage Dave mentioned. This is from John 20. In John 20, Thomas famously doubts that Jesus is alive and resurrected and declares that he won't believe it until he sees the nail scars in his hands inside. Thomas needs to see and to hear to believe. And when Jesus shows up, he speaks with Thomas and takes Thomas's hands, leading them to his scars. And when Thomas sees and hears Jesus, he exclaims, my Lord and my God. And here's the key for us who have never seen Jesus' scars or heard his gentle, powerful, loving voice in person as Thomas did. Jesus then says to Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's us. We've never seen Jesus in the flesh. We've never touched his scars. We've never heard his voice like you guys are hearing my voice right now. Blessed are you for that, for having faith despite that. We're called to see and hear a dead man, just like Saul does in the home of the witch of Endor. But Jesus is not still dead. We're not putting our faith in a corpse. The word incredible tends to mean amazing, but it literally means not credible, as in not to be believed. And faith is incredible in both sense. It's hard to believe what we believe when we cannot see the nail scars or hear his voice in person. But faith is also more truly incredible 
in the sense that we usually use that word. It's incredible in the sense that it's awe-inspiring and extraordinary. Faith is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I spoke of low times in, in the intro, like Saul creeping into Endor to have his doom sealed. That was his low point. But I spoke of needing prayer in low times for myself. So when my parents were splitting up, was a really low time for me. Um, COVID in April, April was a really hard month for me and for Angie and I'm sure for, for many or most of you. Faith is there for low times. Trusting in him who we love more than ourselves gives us the same strength and focus as it gives David. We cannot see him or hear him in person, but we can still approach him. Hebrews 4 speaks of this when it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us when? In our time of need. Trust that he is there and turn to him first, before we turn to our own plans, as Saul does, or our own rage or jealousy or selfish desires, all of which Saul does and is removed from God's presence because of it. But faith isn't just for low times, obviously. Seeing the world through his eyes and listening for his voice at all times, that's our whole purpose as believers. It's why he equips us with the Holy Spirit, who is our spiritual corrective lenses and hearing aids. That's the Holy Spirit's. It's why he's in us to guide us, to lead us, to help us see and hear. So that's our reminder today and a challenge to myself and to all of us. Make sure that we turn to him. Inquire of the living God. Saul goes to inquire of a dead person. So don't turn to dead things or illegitimate things that cannot help you. Look and listen for Jesus and he will respond. He didn't respond to Saul because Saul had given up on him long ago. He will respond to you if you try to see him or hear him. That's the promises that we have faith in. Okay, again, what a fascinating story. I remember reading the story of the Witch of Endor for the first time, and it blew my mind that that was in the Bible. Uh, we only have, because last week we did chapter 29 and 27, so now we've done 28. We have two more chapters left in First Samuel, and then we'll do our Advent uh, readings for the year. Um, we will see one more story of Triumph and David next week, and then one more story of lowly, pathetic Saul uh, the week after that, and then it will be Advent. So let's pray, and then uh, you can turn off your mute and uh, hang out as long as you like. But let's pray first. Um, Jesus, help us to see what you want for us. Help us to see, help us to see you. Help us to hear you, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through uh, your word, whether it's through your people, whether it's through your ceremonies, help us to see and hear you more clearly. We love you, Jesus. We want to follow you the best we can. We want the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. We don't want to be like Saul, looking for you where you, uh, looking for you in illegitimate ways, looking for you among dead things. Help us to find you um, within us and be guided by you. Father, we, we have, we put our faith in your son. We put our faith in you, Jesus, even though we can't see or hear you physically. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus, as you lead and guide us. Uh, amen. Look and listen for Jesus. He will respond to you if you try to see him or hear him. I could still learn a lot from St. Andrew, patron saint of poultry farmers there. I wish I would have been here.
there with all you guys at the wheel church, but COVID numbers are going up, so we can't. But it's the best. <laughs> we gave her a script beforehand. <laughs>